Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Betrothed, or E Promesi Sposi, by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Twenty Seven, Part Two lucia felt greatly relieved when her mother had contrived by some means or other to let her know that renzo was alive safe and acquainted with her vow and desired nothing more than that he should forget her or to express it more exactly that he should try to forget her she on her part made a similar resolution a hundred times a day with respect to him and employed to every means she could think of to put it into effect she continued to work indefatigably with her needle, trying to apply her whole mind to it, and when Renzo's image presented itself to her view, would begin to repeat or chant some prayers to herself. But that image, just as if it were actually by pure malice, did not generally come so openly. It introduced itself stealthily behind others, so that the mind might not be aware of having harboured it, till after it had been there for some time. Lucia's thoughts were often with her mother. How should it have been otherwise? And the ideal Renzo would gently creep in as a third party, as the real person has so often done. So, with everybody, in every place, in every remembrance of the past, he never failed to introduce himself. And if the poor girl allowed herself sometimes to penetrate in fancy into the obscurities of the future, there, too, he would appear, as if it were only to say, I, ten to one, shall not be there. However, if not to think of him at all were a hopeless undertaking, yet Lucia succeeded up to a certain point in thinking less about him and less intensively than her heart would have wished. She would have even succeeded better had she been alone in desiring to do so. But there was Donna Presede, who, bent on her part upon banishing the youth from her thoughts, had found no better expedient than constantly talking about him. Well, she would say, have you given up thinking about him? I am thinking of nobody, replied Lucia. Donna Prasede, however, not to be appeased by so evasive an answer, replied that there must be deeds, not words, and enlarged upon the usual practices of young girls, who, she said, when they have set their hearts upon a dissolute fellow, and it is just to such they have a leaning, won't consent to be separated from them. An honest and rational conduct to a worthy man, a well-tried character, which by some accident happens to be frustrated, they are quickly resigned. But let it be a villain, and it is an incurable wound. And then she commenced a panegyric upon the poor absentee, the rascal who had come to Milan to plunder the town and massacre the inhabitants, and tried to make Lucia confess all the knavish tricks he had played in his own country. Lucia, with a voice tremulous with shame, sorrow, and such indignation as could find place in her gentle breast and humble condition, affirmed and testified that the poor fellow had done nothing in his country to give occasion for anything but good to be said of him. She wished, she said, that someone were present from his neighbourhood, that the lady might hear his testimony. 
Even on his adventures at Milan, the particulars of which she could not learn, she defended him merely from the knowledge that she had of him and his behaviour from his very childhood. She defended him, or intended to defend him, from the simple duty of charity, from her love of truth, and, to use just the expression by which she described her feelings to herself, as her neighbour. But Donna Prasede drew fresh arguments from these apologies to convince Lucia that she had quite lost her heart to this man. And, to say the truth, in these moments it is difficult to say how the matter stood. The disgraceful picture the old lady drew of the poor youth revived from opposition more vividly and distinctly than ever in the mind of the young girl the idea which long habit had established there. The recollection she had stifled by force returned in crowds upon her. Aversion and contempt recalled all her old motives of esteem and sympathy, and blind and violent hatred only excited stronger feelings of pity. With these feelings, who can say how much there might or might not be of another affection which follows upon them, and introduces itself so easily into the mind? Let it be imagined what it would do in one whence it was attempted to eject it by force. However it may be, the conversation on Lucia's side was never carried to any great length, for words were very soon resolved into tears. Had Donna Prasede been induced to treat her in this way for some inveterate hatred towards her, these tears might, perhaps, have vanquished and silenced her. But as she spoke with the intention of doing good, she went on without allowing herself to be moved by them, as groans and imploring cries may arrest the weapons of an enemy, but not the instrument of the surgeon. Having, however, discharged her duty for that time, she would turn from reproaches and denunciation to exhortation and advice, sweetened also by a little praise, thus designing to temper the bitter with the sweet, the better to obtain her purpose, by working upon the heart under every state of feeling. These quarrels, however, which had always nearly the same beginning, middle, and end, left no resentment, properly speaking, in the good Lucia's heart against the harsh sermonizer, who, after all, treated her in general very kindly, and even in this instance evinced a good intention. Yet they left her in such agitation, with such a tumult of thoughts and affections, that it required no little time and much effort to regain her former degree of calmness. It was well for her that she was not the only one to whom Donna Prasede had to do good, for by this means these disputes could not occur so frequently. Besides, the rest of the family, all of whom were persons more or less needing amendment and guidance beside all the other occasions which offered themselves to her, or she contrived to find of extending the same kind of office of her own free will to many to whom she was under no obligations. She had also five daughters, none of whom were at home, but who gave her more to think about than if they had been. Three of these were nuns, two were married. Hence Donna Prasede naturally found herself with three monasteries and two houses to superintend, a vast and complicated undertaking, and the more arduous because two husbands, backed by fathers, mothers, and brothers, three abbesses supported by other dignitaries and many nuns would not accept her superintendence it was a complete warfare alias five warfares 
concealed and even courteous up to a certain point but ever active ever vigilant there was in every one of these places a continued watchfulness to avoid her solicitude to close the door against her counsels to elude her inquiries and to keep her in the dark as far as possible on every undertaking we do not mention the resistance and the difficulties she encountered in the management of other still more extraneous affairs it is well known that one must generally do good to men by force the place where her zeal could best exercise itself and have full play was in her own house here everybody was subject in everything and for everything to her authority saving don ferrante with whom things went on in a matter entirely peculiar a man of studious turn he neither loved to command nor obey in all household matters his wife was the mistress with his free consent but he would not submit to be her slave and if when requested he occasionally lent her the assistance of his pen it was because it suited his taste and after all he knew how to say no when he was not convinced of what she wished him to write use your own sense he would say in such cases do it yourself since it seems so clear to you Donna Prasede, after vainly endeavouring for some time to induce him to recant, and to do what she wanted, would be obliged to content herself with murmuring frequently against him, with calling him one who hated trouble, a man who would have his own way, and a scholar, a title which, though pronounced with contempt, was generally mixed with a little complacency. Don Ferrante passed many hours in his study, where he had a considerable collection of books, scarcely less than three hundred volumes all of them choice works and the most highly esteemed on their numerous several subjects in each of which he was more or less versed in astrology he was deservedly considered as more than a dilettante for he not only possessed the generic notions and common vocabulary of influences aspects and conjunctions but he knew how to talk very aptly and as it were ex cathedra of the twelve houses of the heavens of the great circles of lucid and obscure degrees of exaltation and dejection of transitions and revolutions in short of the most assured and most recondite principles of science and it was for perhaps twenty years that he maintained in long and frequent disputes the system of cardano against another learned man who was staunchly attached to that of alcabizio from mere obstinacy as don ferrante said who readily acknowledging the superiority of the ancients could not however endure that unwillingness to yield to the moderns even when they evidently had reason on their side he was also more than indifferently acquainted with the history of the science he could on an occasion quote the most celebrated predictions which had been verified and reason clearly and learnedly on other celebrated predictions which had failed showing that the fault was not in the science but in those who knew not how to apply it he had learnt as much of ancient philosophy as might have sufficed him but still went on acquiring more from the study of diogenes laertius as however these systems how beautiful soever they may be cannot all be held at once and as to be a philosopher it is necessary to choose an author so don ferrante had chosen aristotle who he used to say was neither ancient nor modern he was the philosopher and nothing more
he possessed also various works of the wisest and most ingenious disciples of that school among the moderns those of its impugners he would never read not to throw away time as he said nor buy not to throw away money surely by way of exception did he find room in his library for those celebrated two-and-twenty volumes de subtilitate and for some other anti-peripatetic work of cardano's in consideration of his value in astrology he said that he who could write the treatise don restitutione temporum et motum colestium and the book duodecim geniturarum deserved to be listened to even when he erred that the great defect of this man was that he had too much talent and that no one could conceive what he might have arrived at even in philosophy had he kept himself in the right way in short although in the judgment of the learned don ferrante passed for a consummate peripatetic yet he did not deem that he knew enough about it himself and more than once he was obliged to confess with great modesty that essence universals the soul of the world and the nature of things were not so very clear as might be imagined he had made a recreation rather than a study of natural philosophy the very works of aristotle on this subject he had rather read than studied and yet with this slight perusal with the notices incidentally gathered from treaties on general philosophy with a few cursory glances at the magia naturale of porta at the three histories lapidum animalium plantarum of cardano at the treatise on herbs plants and animals by albert magnus and a few other works of less note he could entertain a party of learned men for a while with dissertations on the most wonderful virtues and most remarkable curiosities of many medicinal herbs he could minutely describe the forms and habits of sirens and the solitary phoenix and explain how the salamander exists in the fire without burning how the remora that diminutive fish has strength and ability completely to arrest a ship of any size in the high seas how drops of dew become pearls in the shell how the chameleon feeds on air how ice being generally hardened is formed into crystal in the course of time with many others of the most wonderful secrets of nature into those of magic and witchcraft he had penetrated still more deeply as it was a science says our anonymous author much more necessary and more in vogue in those days in which the facts were of far higher importance and it was more within reach to verify them it is unnecessary to say that he had no other object in view in such a study than to inform himself and to become acquainted with the very worst arts of the sorcerers in order that he might guard against them and defend himself and by the guidance principally of the great martino del rio a leader of the science he was capable of discoursing ex professo upon the fascination of love the fascination of sleep the fascination of hatred and the infinite varieties of these three principal genuses of enchantment which are only too often again says our anonymous author beheld in practice at the present day attended by such lamentable effects not less vast and profound was his knowledge of history particularly universal history in which his authors were tarcagnotta dolce bugatti campania and guazzo 
in short all the most highly esteemed but what is history said don ferrante frequently without politics a guide who walks on and on with no one following to learn the road and who consequently throws away his steps as politics without history is one who walks without a guide there was therefore a place assigned to statistics on his shelf where among many humbler rank and less renown appeared in all their glory bedino calvacante sansovino paruta and boccalini there were two books however which don ferrante infinitely preferred above all others on this subject two which up to a certain time he used to call the first without ever being able to decide which of the two this rank should exclusively belong one was the principia and discorsi of the celebrated florentine secretary a great rascal certainly said don ferrante but profound the other the ragione di stato of the no less celebrated giovanni botero an honest man certainly said he again but shrewd shortly after however just at the period which our story embraces a work came to light which terminated the question of preeminence by surpassing the work of even those two matadors said don ferrante a book in which was enclosed and condensed every trick of the system that might be known and every virtue that it might be practised a book of small dimensions but all of gold in one word the statista regnante of don valeriano castiglione that most celebrated man of whom it might be said that the greatest scholars rivalled each other in sounding his praises and the greatest personages in trying to rob him of them that man whom pope urban the eighth honoured as is well known with magnificent encomiums whom the cardinal borghese and the viceroy of naples don pietro di toledo entreated to relate one the doings of pope paul v the other the wars of his catholic majesty in italy and both in vain that man whom louis the thirteenth king of france at the suggestion of cardinal richelieu nominated his historiographer on whom don carlo emmanuel of savoy conferred the same office in praise of whom not to mention other lofty testimonials the duchess christina daughter of the most christian king henry the fourth could in a diploma among many other titles enumerate the certainty of the reputation he is obtaining in italy of being the first writer of our times but if in all the above-mentioned sciences don ferrante might be considered a learned man there was one in which he merited and enjoyed the title of professor the science of chivalry not only did he argue on it in a really masterly manner but frequently requested to interfere in affairs of honour always gave some decision he had in his library and one may say indeed in his head the works of the most renowned writers on this subject paris del pozo fausto de loggiano urea musio rome albergato the first and second forno of torcato tasso of whose other works jerusalem delivered as well as jerusalem taken he had ever in readiness and could quote from memory on occasion all the passages which might serve as a text on the subject of chivalry the author however of all authors in his estimation was our celebrated francesco birago 
with whom he had more than once associated in giving judgment on cases of honour and who on his side spoke of don ferrante in terms of particular esteem and from the time that the discorsi cavalleresci of this renowned writer made their appearance he predicted without hesitation that this work would destroy the authority of olivano and would remain together with its other noble sisters as a code of primary authority among posterity and every one may see says our anonymous author how this prediction has been verified from this he passes on to the study of belle lettre but we begin to doubt whether the reader has really any great wish to go forward with us in this review and even to fear that we may already have won the title of servile copyist for ourself and that of a bore to be shared with the anonymous author for having followed him out so simply even thus far into a subject foreign to the principal narrative and in which probably he was only so diffuse for the purpose of parading erudition and showing that he was not behind his age however leaving written what is written that we may not lose our labour we will omit the rest to resume the thread of our story the more willingly as we have a long period to traverse without meeting with any of our characters and a longer still before finding those in whose success the reader will be most interested if anything in the whole story has interested him at all until the autumn of the following year sixteen twenty nine they all remained some willingly some by force almost in the state in which we left them nothing happening to any one and no one doing anything worthy of being recorded the autumn at length approached in which agnese and lucia had counted upon meeting again but a great public event frustrated that expectation and this certainly was one of its most trifling effects other great events followed which however made no material change in the destinies of our characters at length new circumstances more general more influential and more extensive reached even to them even to the lowest of them according to the world's scale it was like a vast sweeping and irresistible hurricane which uprooting trees tearing off roots levelling battlements and scattering their fragments in every direction stirs up the straws hidden in the grass pries into every corner for the light and withered leaves which a gentler breeze would only have lodged there more securely and bears them off in its headlong course of fury now that the private events which yet remain for us to relate may be rendered intelligible it will be absolutely necessary for us even here to promise some kind of account of these public ones and thus make a still further digression end of chapter twenty seven part two recording by alan mapstone in oxford england